0: The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, Trident Room host Mike Wish sits down and has conversation with philanthropic mad scientist, Dr. Vivian Ming.
1: Dr. Vivian Ming, welcome to the Trident Room podcast. We are really excited to have you here.
0: It is a
2: blast. Uh, down in the basement with things creaking. I've actually, I grew up in Monterey and I have never right. been on the actual campus of the school before. This my first ever visit to the Del Monte Hotel, formerly. Well, welcome. So I'm Dr. Vivian Ming. I used to be a theoretical neuroscientist who had the terrible idea of starting a whole bunch of companies that apply AI in education, AI in workforce, in healthcare technologies. Uh, Nowadays, I do something a little different, I think, than most people. Um, I try and help people for free. So I run a philanthropic lab and people bring me big challenges, uh, very much in keeping with the conversation here today for the Big Ideas um, Festival Exchange. But those challenges for me are often, Dr. Ming, my daughter has 500 seizures a day, please save her life. Or, Dr. Ming, what should the UN do about uh, global AI policy and ethics? Uh, the, one of the coolest things about my life is that I then get to think to myself, do I think my team and I can actually make a difference? And if I think we can, Um, then I pay for everything and we go in and we try and start by understanding the problem because often we have no real domain expertise. And if I feel like we've got traction there, we try to build some solutions. Very entrepreneurial, but very scientific. I, I mean, I call myself a mad scientist. And the reason is, if we knew that this stuff would work, it wouldn't be science. And if anyone else was doing it, it wouldn't be mad.
1: So yeah, how how does that how does your company how is it differentiated from all the other scientific experiences and venues that people have to reach out to? Right, uh, I mean they can reach out to universities, government institutions. So what's the benefit of your company? I think what makes it really different, and and we're not
2: here to displace anyone. Uh, as much good fortune as my life has had, I haven't won the IPO lottery and ended up. Uh, you know, with a $20 billion fortune to throw around. But I will say if I had one, then I wouldn't have one tomorrow because, uh, yeah, I could spend $20 billion uh, in a couple of days because the world is full of some big challenges. I think what's different about what we do it, it isn't that um, a small business or a large one couldn't serve a need um, if there was a real commercial demand, or that a university can't effectively understand a problem or a researcher within a university. For us, it's the interplay. Uh, having spent a career in academia and in entrepreneurial, having collaborated repeatedly with both public sector and industry at scale, there is something about actually building a thing that changes a life, which is addictive. I love being a basic scientist. I love just simply knowing a secret about the world that no one ever knew before but that taking that and actually creating a machine learning system for cochlear implants that restores hearing to the deaf creating a dumb game called sexy face that ultimately reunites orphan refugees with extended family members of course anyone could do it but it turns out orphan refugees not a great uh, business opportunity, so there's not much of an entrepreneurial uh, spirit there. Industry does get involved. In fact, Ericsson, the, the big um, uh, Nordic company, was a sponsor of that project. Uh, not a sponsor of, of me, but just of this big UN initiative to help Wolfram and refugees. And everyone has a good, solid way that they can contribute. What I bring uniquely, I believe, is all of it into one place, uh, where we can take our scientific expertise and what I've learned about how to build things quickly and effectively in entrepreneurship, and then simply go do it, simply because it should happen without expecting anything back. And that combination, it is pretty unique. Uh, And it means we get way more requests than we can possibly help with, but, uh, you know, Socos Labs itself is an experiment. This is my philanthropic lab, and the experiment is within my, one of my own lines of research, which is that it turns out people who make sacrifices, what we might call sometimes having a strong sense of purpose, they actually have better lives. So here's my grand experiment. If I did something so stupid as starting a startup that simply gave away its product, with no monetization whatsoever. I uh, truly free as in beer, and the question is, does my life get better? So I've been doing it for about five years. It's not the only thing that I do. I sit on a bunch of boards, and I occasionally am dumb enough to start a new startup every now and then, but I've done this for about five years, and every year my life gets better. Um, maybe I'm not as wealthy as I could be, but Clearly, that's a decision that I'm quite happy to make.
1: Well, and the research, I think, indicates that wealth beyond a certain point is not really what makes us happy, right?
2: You know, it, I, I'm a hard number scientist, so I'll say that research is actually fairly complicated. But there is a large body that says there's a certain point at which happiness, what we might call eudaimonic happiness, that's that sense of a rich life, of, of having good friends of a job well done that's as opposed to hedonic happiness sometimes you want to sit down watch a crappy movie and eat a bag of fritos for a brief moment you feel good and it goes away Uh, yeah it's that eudaimonic happiness that is the tie or the evidence of a good life or i might even say the gift for having done something right And in that case, um, yeah, my life is amazing, and I know plenty of billionaires whose lives are not. Uh, So again, it's a trade that I'm I'm happy to make, and I'm happy to make it also partially because I've had a pretty unusual life myself, and knowing that there are things more important to me than whether or not I can get everyone to salute at me or not uh, is... um, You know, this is part of the thing that I've become pretty comfortable with is it's my work that actually matters to me. It's not about me. It's not about whether I'm working towards being happy or wealthy or famous. It is about whether I have a sense of what my purpose is and that I am actually serving it. Um, And that purpose could be anything for anyone. be it for me to decide someone else's purpose in fact the research here is really open also a purpose is something that's bigger than you it takes more than a lifetime to complete if you that purpose is spiritual then that's it Uh, and if a purpose is as it is for one man famously in india planting a row of trees in front of an advancing desert even though he'll be gone long before that desert ever reaches his village Boy, that is like the definition. The, old, the world gets better when old man plants trees. It's almost the definition of a sense of purpose. But the crazy thing about it is those people live longer, wealthier, healthier, happier lives. And it's like a paradox. You make a sacrifice to win the race. Um, it shouldn't work, but it does. And that's why this work for me is its own kind of weird experiment. And so far, other than the fact that my kids figured out we could have a big giant hill uh, house in the hills if mama uh, didn't keep giving all of our money away, um, everything, so some promises have been made. They may involve puppies and, and a, a, a house with a decent view. But, um, you know, so it's not the absolution of self or the abolishment of self but it is recognizing that it isn't about you. Uh, something that I suspect people um, in the military really get, um, but you know, it's one thing to have made a brief decision to make a commitment. It's another thing to realize that this is how you wanna live the rest of your life. And I guess if there were anything that my life could demonstrate is wonderful things happen when you make that choice.
1: Well, I, I do agree, and, and, and a quick story uh, for myself. Uh, the words meaning and purpose never really resonated as a large concern for me, but I suppose if I had a purpose, it, it had to start with my kids, my youngest daughter especially, who's special needs. And when we discovered that she'd had a, a you know, disabling condition, uh, in some ways it was it's actually I found that it's a little bit of a relief for me because my happiness is really no longer that important. You've done something or done many things on huge scales. You're taking on these big problems. But for me, I'm taking on kind of one very personal problem for me. Um, And I've actually found it freeing to say that really my goal today or any day is not as much my own happiness, but it's this little person's life, these little people's lives. And, And that, I think, makes it easier to live a more... Purposeful, meaningful life—if that makes sense—and
2: we really share something there. I, I, I can't say a moment where I sort of committed to this, but perhaps the most salient is a story I've told before, so I won't belabor it here. But was my son was diagnosed with type one diabetes, and to be just by the dumb luck of my life, to be the mom that knew how to hack all of his equipment and build the first ever AI for diabetes. But it's not the AI or the algorithm or the hack of which I am proud. It is that I was able to be a superhero, that for my son, who not only has diabetes, but he's got mild autism, he's got challenges, but he is such an amazing kid, to be able to be the one person in the world just by dumb luck that was able to help him, uniquely help him. I wish that on every parent. And yes, it is an amazing introduction to the idea that it's not about you.
1: Yeah, it's pretty special. Um, the other aspects of this, which are important to military folks, is that I've seen a lot of Marines get out of the Marine Corps. And I think when you talk about having a purpose or being a part of something that's bigger than yourself, a lot of Marines find that in the Marine Corps. And even the ones who are a little bit disgruntled, uh, you know, up, upon the, the, the end of their service. Uh, maybe they had a terrible duty station or didn't have great, great leaders in that particular unit, uh, or maybe they even had a difficult uh, deployment. But w- whatever the reason for uh, maybe some unhappiness with their service, uh, it tends to happen that after a year or two or three years uh, down the road, out of the Marine Corps, I see very often that they're struggling in civilian life because they have not found that same sense of shared purpose that they once had. It's difficult, I think, for many of them to put their finger on it exactly, they may still have some poor memories of their service, and they're missing some aspect of it, and they just they can't exactly put their finger on what it is that they're missing. Uh, but they know that they're having trouble finding it and not being in the service anymore.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, a funny thing about the research uh, on this, so this is a lot of psychological research that a number of groups have done in my case. I get to do it in my own style, which is give me, you know, 500 million people's data points and I'll throw a bunch of machine learning algorithms at it and monitor all of their internal email communications. And so it doesn't sound like a very human story, but to be able to use all this fancy technology to discover something so human as actually in an organization, whether it's the Marine Corps or Accenture or Amazon, that in fact, those places that are the most effective and most productive are places where people are helping one another. Uh, We call it collaborative leadership, when you go out and try and make everyone around you better. It's not about whether you're getting credit for it. It's about whether the, the, the objective is being completed. It's like the biggest untracked driver of, here's a terribly dull term, biggest untracked driver of productivity across every organization is, again, uh, the kind of sacrifice behavior associated with purpose and collaborative leadership. And then you leave an organization like that that kind of gave it to you for free. It came with structure. Um, and most of us are not well set up to deal with, I mean, not having structure at all, but also, in this case, like a this dramatic change in structure. But here's the thing about what the research says, and this isn't going to make anything, I'm saying, easy to achieve, but it turns out The real construct studied in psychology is called strength of purpose, not the purpose itself. Whatever that is, that's your thing. It's your strength of purpose, how much of a sacrifice you're willing to make for it. That's the actual interesting variable here. So here's the really fascinating finding. The purpose is a construct. And I know for some people that find purpose in their religion, for example, It doesn't feel that way. It feels like something that is absolutely true to who you are and it is inviolable. I'm just saying as a scientist, the research is pretty clear. We get to build a purpose for ourselves. There isn't one thing we're meant to do. If you found it in your religion, wonderful. If you find it in the Marine Corps and you wanna make that the rest of your life, wonderful. But if you found something in the Corps and then you stepped out and you feel like it's gone, you can reconstruct that. It's you. In fact, I'd argue that make an arbitrary decision. Not a bad one. I mean, think if you want to put it in a certain terms, what are you willing to sacrifice for? If there's something in your life you're willing to make a sacrifice for, and I know where we can say that about our kids. But maybe there's something broader in your community or something bigger in America or your life that you want to see changed. Whether that change is entrepreneurial or a part of the public sector or whatever it might be, that's a purpose. That's something you can just build yourself and invest in. If you start making sacrifices for that thing that's bigger than you, it now meets the definition and all of those good things start happening, as long as you're really doing it for the right reason. So if you're feeling lost, I don't mean to trivialize how hard it is to have the courage to make a sacrifice, to have the courage to create something entirely new for yourself. But just realize it wasn't intrinsic to the Marines. They gave you it the structure that allowed you to recognize it. And please, it sure as hell isn't Manchester United or I guess their Washington football team now uh, or any other team like that. As much as you may love them, um, there is something bigger than you out there and you get to make the choice about what it's going to be. And then all you gotta do is invest in it. The cool thing about a purpose is it's like a guide star. It doesn't tell you what to do. It, uh, often for me, what it really makes easy is no. I get the coolest job offers in the world. I say this with wild arrogance, but I mean, honestly, I guess not everyone would wanna be a chief scientist but I've had Google and Amazon and Netflix and Uber and all of these companies reach out to me. And my answer, and it usually takes me about five seconds, is this will have to be another in a long line of terrible career decisions, but no thank you. Uh, actually with Uber, it was hell no. Um, but, and with Amazon, it was a harder decision for, I mean, it was the best pitch anyone's ever made me in seven years will be a one million person company. By the way, they're 1.8 already. Uh, Your job will be to make their life better. If anyone knows my life's work, that is a great job pitch. Yeah, Yeah. they knew me. Everyone else, it's like, we have the gnarliest data problems, we have the coolest technology. What do I care? I'm, I'm willing to pay millions of dollars a year to help little kids I've never met. Do you really think I care about your gnarly data problem? But a million employees making their life better, yeah. And I get to geek out because that's how I would have done it. That's a hard pitch. I flew up to Seattle, but my answer was still no. Jeff's definition of a better's life is different than mine. That doesn't make him wrong. What make? Well, I mean, he disagreed with me, which definitionally makes him wrong. But <laughs> um, but it doesn't make him a bad guy. Um, so really, you know f- what? In many, many ways, what my sense of purpose has given me is just real clarity. Um, I know what I want to spend my time doing. I don't feel a lot of regret or I never rehash these decisions. I know I'm making the right one. And that is a beautiful thing to find uh, in your life because... Boy, everyone feels a ton of pressure about what they should be delivering on. And sometimes in my life, like that has come up. I I don't want to disappoint my parents any more than anyone else does. But there were moments when I could clearly see what the right thing to do was. Um, And And then my job was to bring them along.
1: Yeah, that's a great message. And it also may be important to note, too, that for those that are nervous about embracing something like that, that it's it's never quite as good as you think it's going to be. And it's never nearly as bad as you think it's going to be, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, God, let me put it, I guess, in a way that I often think of it. I'm telling everyone to go jump off a cliff with the crazy notion you're going to end up higher when you land than where you started, which, of course, is ridiculous. It's like an Escher painting or something. And yet, that's what all this purpose research actually shows. Um, So, sure, it is terrifying. And I think one of the hardest things about all of this uh, is courage. And I bet you line them up with, you know, all of the guys that, uh, if this was your experience, you were in a foxhole with, no one wants to pretend that they're not courageous in every way of their life. But the simple truth of this, all of us are scared of things. I will tell you, I, I've done events with big military audiences and I've done events with big corporate audiences on on very similar subjects and I see the exact same behavior, which is all the junior officers and all the junior executives are scared of looking dumb in front of uh, the people that control their lives. Uh, And yet it is the ones that have the courage to speak up and take a chance that end up on that bottom row right in front of me. Uh, you know, we had a chance to look at this inside a bunch of gigantic companies and we found again and again that the people that ended up in leadership positions were the ones that didn't fit the model. They're the ones that didn't do the right things or they were, they could in a sense do it all. We we had a conversation about this recently uh, before the Big Ideas Festival started today, which is that they did a bunch of psychological profiling on officers, early career, late career. And they found they were completely different, which is weird because of course all those late career officers must have been early career, and presumably the world isn't so different that they all changed. So early career, you know, they're really focused on detail. They're conscientious. You know, tell me what to do, I will carry it out, yes sir. And then the late career are all a bunch of cantankerous uh, mess makers um, that are just causing trouble in a good way.
1: I can feel that transition
2: now, actually. Yeah. Right? Yeah. and So the funny thing is, why are these two populations different when you know some of this one group are going to become the other? And my off-the-hand answer this morning was, I bet the majority of the junior officers, that's truly who they are in a deep way. What we would call, it's their trait. Um, You know, it's not going to change that much over their lifetime. But for some of them... It's just they've adapted to what make them successful as a junior officer. They're actually the cantankerous troublemaker, but they have learned that the right way to execute on that at this moment in their life is to get things done and do what they're told. And so they look just like everyone else, but they're not. And you find it in those moments when they raise their hand when they're not supposed to, and they say, you know, with all due respect, General, I think that's a terrible idea. And you, I mean, you see that so little, and not just in the military, anywhere. I don't see it in my grad students very often. I don't see it in my junior employees, um, because our whole lives tell us not to do that. But that is the big thing, is if there's something that's bigger than you, um, it turns out if you can't let go and find the courage to disagree every now and then, then you may find yourself all the way through. I once had a session with a bunch of CTOs, and they said, I I wish we could do what you do. You just get to go invent all the time. But I have all these things I want to do, but if I tried to convince my board or my CEO to do that, they'd fire me. Uh, How do I innovate? And I said, well, you have to make a choice. Do you care more about having your job or doing your job well? Um, because the only thing you will have under control is whether you can walk away from that job because there's something bigger than you, more than your career. That's a hard thing to put in front of people, you know, to just say that and say, okay, now now you know, and so it's gonna be really easy. I, I once gave this keynote about courage. As though somehow you get up on a stage and you say, be courageous, and it will change 30,000 lives. As though there's just just a switch. Yeah, it was like a Simpsons episode. Uh, It was one of the Halloween specials where the Krusty the Clown doll was switched to evil instead of good. And that's all they had to do in the end, was just switch it to good and it wouldn't be evil anymore. Like, life's that easy. And that's how a lot of this stuff is pitched. Nothing that I'm saying is easy. All of it's hard and terrifying and you gotta do it anyways, and it takes time. Um, so you're transitioning out um, into civilian life, and all of that structure's gone. And I'll tell you, this is a shared experience with working from home for so many people. They, they get home for at least 80% of the global workforce. They, they started working from home, and there's no structure, and they get getting emailed at all hours of the day, particularly if they work for a global company. And they quickly found they couldn't manage anything about their life. So much of their daily in and out to the office was doing that for them. They didn't even realize it. So, you know, again, it's an ideal world in which I could just wave a wand and say, all right, everyone needs emotional intelligence and everyone needs a sense of purpose and courage to execute on it. I'm just saying that is your trajectory that you're heading towards. You you need to set and, and just believe that the effort is going to pay off because it's going to be an effort and it's going to take time. Uh, All I can say to you is, one, I've got 9.8 trillion data points supporting everything I just said. Yes, I'm nerdy enough that I actually worked that out recently. And uh, two, I have my own lived experience of that. I mean, we're not here to have this conversation, but I've spent time homeless. I flunked out of school. My life has not been perfect by a long stretch, but boy, when I, somewhat unexpectedly, found my own very grounded humanist sense of purpose, I did my whole undergraduate in a single year. I got perfect grades in every course. I founded a bunch of companies. I mean, I'm as shocked as anyone that a complete F-up like me has found success in life. And it came with the lesson that life isn't about me.
0: Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. This episode was recorded August 24th, 2021. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash i right.